Hello and welcome to London Coronavirus Podcast, the only independent daily pod of its kind, brought to you by a couple of Londoners trying to provide a little bit of positivity in the midst of a pretty glum global pandemic. On the pod today, we spoke about the end of a truly unique Easter weekend. Bruce from Bristol was back in the confession booth. We had a multi-layered live in the quarantine dream and so much more. And today for podcast number 28, ladies and gentlemen, I was joined as ever by Mr. James. Where James, we're closing in on the 30 pods in 30 days challenge. I know we haven't exactly climbed Mount Everest or saved anyone's life, but nonetheless, here we are. And I think we've done a half decent job. Yeah, I I would <laughs> slap you on the back heartedly to agree in an over the Skype sense, which I don't think will work so well if I start bashing my webcam. But the feeling is there, Dave. And yeah, feelings all bizarrely triumphant emerging through the bank holiday, just for the fact that everyone sort of did do a bank holiday at Easter. Anyway, I don't know, it all feels to me like there was something proudly defiant about the fact that it was still kind of a four-day weekend and people still celebrated Easter in their own ways in spite of everything. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because there wasn't anything obviously going on. As we said, the clearest marker of the bank holiday was the slight change in the way people queued and walked. But somehow it still feels like, yeah, we we still marked that point in the year in spite of everything. And I'm feeling some solidarity through that. And also, like, weirdly, normally when you've ended a long weekend, it's just back to normal, isn't it? But Mm. for me, I was like, well, we've ended Easter. I kind of feel I need something new to get me going and look forward to this week. So I've just signed up to an online massage course, which I think falls into the very, very broad category of things that normally if you did, your friends would be deeply concerned for you. But right now, they're almost proud of you. And I'm kind of trying to ride that wave as far as it would take me. We're here every single day on London Coronavirus Podcast. Enjoy the pod. James, I wanted to start today on Easter Monday by talking about British cuisine and more specifically fish and chips. Now, I think a lot of people in the past month have found themselves reverting back to kind of comforting habits to almost childhood rituals at times. And I know prior to a pod we did last week, I was eating some fish fingers while we were chatting. Mm. And yeah, we both said that, oh, we haven't had fish fingers in years, right? And I found myself recently buying just a lot of fish and chips, either in the supermarket or delivery, on a very, very regular basis. Now, I'm a Brighton boy, grew up close to the seaside, so that's obviously coming into play a little bit. But I was thinking about fish and chips in Britain, and the reason that fish and chips are such a bedrock of British culinary culture is because during the Second World War... Uh, Winston Churchill recognised the crucial role of fish and chips and referred to them as good companions. And they were actually one of the very, very, very few items not to be rationed, right? Because the feeling was if they were rationed, it would really damage morale. So fish and chips kind of got propelled forward as this national symbol. And I never considered myself particularly patriotic, actually, before Corona. But I definitely realised in the last few weeks and months that... um, Yeah, I I am British and and I am sort of very fond of fish and chips. So I know on Easter Monday, it's normal, James, to to stuff your face with chocolate, but I've gone for fish and chips tonight. I'm glad that you're feeling comforted by your cod, Dave. We need to find comfort wherever we can look for it. I actually had a kind of similar 
accidental childhood food moment where I'd boiled some eggs and I'd just like fished out for an egg cup. Hadn't had boiled eggs in ages like real throwback yeah yeah got the soldiers out you know there used to be a real treat when i was a kid (laughs) and boiled some eggs fished for an egg cup at random and then was sat down eating my egg out of it and realized that it was a teletubbies egg cup (laughs) but (laughs) like normally i think if you got that out you feel a bit embarrassed like a little bit self-sheepish But actually, I felt very comforted that it was bringing back some boiled egg nostalgia. And my egg practice was simultaneously taken back to its roots, but also brought up to date to the future, really. Because my girlfriend taught me an entirely new thing, which is making a wish with your eggs at the end of eating them. Have you ever come across this? I didn't know that was a thing. Are Are we sure it is? When, when you crack into them or when you finish yeah, yeah. eating your eggs? Yeah, so you crack into the bottom at the end. Uh-huh. Like, at the end, if you've got one of those egg cups where, you know, there's a bit of space at the bottom, you crack through the egg or you I just guess. take it out and do it, break through the bottom of the egg and then you make your wish. So I feel I had, like, a past, present and future <laughs> of egg eating all at once, but... The throwback to childhood eggs, yeah, did feel really comforting right now. And I think that that was something, however weird this Easter was for everybody. Easter, by its nature, because it tends to revolve around stuffing your face with chocolate, which is quite a childish activity, let's be honest. However mature we get and however much we embrace the chocolate meditation techniques we had on the podcast, (laughs) really, it kind of brings you back to embracing your inner kid. And I think that was particularly comforting for me. And I think a lot of people this weekend in the context, actually, that, you know, like it felt like this kind of childish, indulgent weekend, even under the strange circumstances which it presented itself in. And I think to be able to heart back like that was very positive right now, actually. So you made a wish with your egg, James, and presumably you wish for peace and prosperity for all of London Coronavirus podcast listeners. Yeah, goodwill towards <laughs> all podcast fans. Coronavirus podcast. First up on London Coronavirus podcast today, we have Coronavirus Confession, the section of the pod where we invite one of our listeners to come in, sit down and offload their sins. As always, as has been the case, James, since pod number one, Windsor and Ware do not judge, we merely listen. And increasingly fake names are not just accepted, they are actively encouraged. And today we've got a repeat offender. Because (laughs) Bruce from Bristol is, well, I was going to say slinking back into the confession booth, but that's more the domain of Stefan, isn't it? Who kind of sheepishly sits down and tiptoes in. But you sense when Bruce comes into the confession booth, there's a swagger, there's a confidence. He's almost proud of what he's achieved. So this is... (laughs) Absolutely. And this is... Bruce's Coronavirus Confession. Hi, this is Bruce here. So this is my Coronavirus Confession. This morning, I realised we had four Easter eggs left over. What did I do? I melted them down, spread them on my toast and thought, woohoo, this is a great Easter. Monday. What do we think about that one? 
Yeah, I like the overspill of Easter into Easter Monday. Why not? I, I think, you know, he's confessing guiltily there. But I think Easter Sunday, if it's so good, why not repeat it when you've got that spare bank holiday space to fill? And I actually applaud, you know, rather than just going in and eating Easter eggs for the second day in a row, he reinvented the Easter egg as this kind of improvised chocolate toast spread. And right now, we're really applauding that isolation improvisation. And the fact that Bruce has managed to bring that into his Easter routine, I think deserves double applause, really. Also, weirdly, I don't know what it is, Dave. I don't know whether this is symptomatic of some phase (laughs) of this that we've all reached together or whether it's just me and you. But it does feel like childhood memories are suddenly being triggered left, right and centre this week. Like, maybe we're going to actually have to get like psychologists to analyse whether this is a more widespread (laughs) thing. And if you're experiencing this too... Do let us know, or if you're not experiencing so that we can see that it's something weird that we're doing. But hearing that also reminded me that a very, very indulgent childhood breakfast I used to have, even beyond eggs, boiled eggs with soldiers, was having squashed Mars bar on toast, where you'd take the Mars bar... Beat it with a rolling pin in a plastic lot bag, which I think was the biggest appeal of this. It was kind of like a kung fu training course with chocolate. Beat it up till it was all squashed down. Have some toast, butter on it, and then you just put the Mars bar on there as a kind of improvised spread. So not only do I applaud Bruce's inventiveness there, but I have to say that that is genuinely a culinary delight when it comes knocking. Surely the kind of regression to childhood comes from the fact that there are rules now that kind of applied in childhood, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a psychotherapist. Maybe we can get Camilla on again to discuss this. But the fact is now there, there are rules about leaving the house, exactly as was the case when you were a child, right? Before 18, there were rules and regulations about when you could leave the house at certain times. So I guess that would be my guess, James, that that's where it's coming from. I, I just also wonder if uh, Bruce from Bristol... I don't know, this kind of... I'm not sure how comfortable I am with his attitude. (laughs) You're not having any of it. (laughs) I I feel more comfortable when Stefan comes in the booth just because I feel like there's genuine remorse. And I'm not sure the confession booth is really for that kind of level of Bruce's confidence. But, uh, you know, once again, I'm I'm venturing into judgment territory. So, Bruce, uh, Bruce, as always, the door is open. up on London Coronavirus Podcast, we have the part of the pods called Living the Quarantine Dream, where our listeners let us know exactly how they're surviving and thriving in lockdown life. And today we have Phil from Dubai, and he lets us know exactly how he is living the Quarantine Dream. To keep myself occupied at a time where maybe you have to be a little bit more creative to while away the hours of the days during isolation, I have continued my love of tennis. However, not on a court with friends, as normally is the case, but this time on my fairly compact balcony on the 11th floor of the building that I live in. I'm using the wall at the end of the balcony as my tennis opponent. Now, what I've done is used my washing clothes horse and folded it up And that acts as a superb net. 
I've then drawn my opponent on some scrap piece of paper and stuck that uh, to, I've called him Fred, by the way, Fred Perry, perhaps, uh, stuck that to the wall. I then proceed to have a good solid game of tennis uh, with Fred. And quite frankly, Fred is superb. I've yet to win a match or even come close to winning a match. And no matter what I do, the wall is proving to be an opponent I just cannot beat. Everything I throw at him, he will get back. Whether it's a scintillating serve into the corner of the service box, whether it's an amazing cross-court forehand ground stroke, which just clips the line. Everything I throw at him, whether it's a smash, um, whatever it may be, the wall, the wall returns and, and wins the point every time, which is getting a little bit demoralising. But it certainly doesn't doesn't uh, lessen my spirits and each week I, I try anything I can to get past the wall but it is proving tricky anyone who does have a wall in their garden or on their balcony or even indoors and they and you have a love of tennis I do recommend it as a great way uh, for a bit of activity bit of sport and just a bit of fun during these strange times I've noticed, James, and thank you very much for that living the quarantine, by the way, that was really, really beautifully put, is people kind of living by themselves that are creating characters. You know, we saw it a little bit with Stefan and, and the dinner table. Now I think we're seeing it a little bit. And it does have a lot of that uh, castaway, isn't it, with Tom Hanks? where he kind of creates the character. So, you know, I do wonder if that's something to, to definitely watch out for over the coming weeks. Yeah, it feels like that is a common symptom of this situation, doesn't it? Kind of imaginary friends. But I think what we're feeling right now is really normally when you were hearing about someone playing tennis on their own against a wall, a grown man doing that with an imaginary opponent that he made quite elaborately like some kind of holiday art project, normally the question you'd be asking would be, why? Why is he doing that? But I feel that right now, why has just been replaced across the board with why not? Like, whenever I hear of anything anyone's doing, however weird or wacky, I genuinely am just like, you know what? Why not? Why not do that? In fact, if anything, I'm like, why didn't people start doing this before? And <laughs> tennis seems to have particularly brought that out. I saw a photo this weekend of a man in New York playing against one of the biggest streets there on his own. And I had another moment too recently when I was out running and down a back road, someone was just playing tennis against a wall there. And genuinely, like, normally that'd be quite a sad activity. But right now it feels so strangely triumphant that it's weird how this situation has just inverted how we judge things normally. And you know what? I think made us question why we're a bit close-minded normally, really, mm. I think. Like, what? why is that our normal reaction to people doing strange things? So I think I'm going to try and keep my lockdown barometer for judging situations after the lockdown's over, if that makes sense. Because I think people should be encouraged in their pursuits when they're legal and not harming or affecting others. So I think what's been a surreal situation throughout 
is feeling a little bit more surreal still just when we thought that it couldn't coming out of the Easter weekend because however much we weren't trying to make it so I think all of us were mentally like right Easter's coming up this week people who are working from home still knew that they were going to have a long weekend to relax and take a bit of a break from that maybe the first kind of recovery from this crazy situation that people had really had for an extended period and there's always that bummer that is the post-bank holiday blues and it feels like weirdly even though for many people this didn't feel like was going to feel like a bank holiday in a weird way I think that's feeling magnified actually going back into the strange routines we've all had tomorrow it's like kind of not coming out of a bank holiday but even more of the bank holiday come down their normal all at once which I think is going to be a strange feeling for us all to navigate this week and there's also not another clear event on the timeline right because when the lockdown started it was like Easter's in a few weeks whereas now we're not being given a timeline we're hearing that that review this week they're not expecting to change anything Mm. and everyone's still guessing in this ongoing lockdown date sweepstake that seems to be being played even by the national newspapers and people in the government it's like date roulette trying to pick a date there it's like the virtual grand national but just with a calendar and so we don't really have another date on the horizon and we've got to get back into this bizarre routine we've created for ourselves just feels to me like a particularly strange time in the timeline of this bizarre experience for all of us. So here at London Coronavirus Podcast, we wanted to help you get back into your working from home week, or even if you're not working from home, whatever that routine does look like for you, we wanted to give you something, to give you a little bank holiday blues booster as you get back into the swing of things this week. And we thought, who better to provide that than one of the world barista champions yet from the pantheon of coffee greats the coffee hall of fame now as you might have heard on last week's pod we'd had quite a fun and dance trying to track down one of these elusive barista bosses but the very lovely dale harris holder of the title world barista champion 2017 was kind enough in spite of his shifts working at a roastery to make sure that the people of Britain still get their coffee in these tough times, was kind enough to find time to record his top tips for making top quality coffee at home. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the 2017 World Barista Champion, Dale Harris. My name is Dale Harris. I'm the 2017 World Barista Champion. For the last 10 years, I've worked for Hasbeen, an online roastery specializing in helping people make better coffee at home. Now, the way we drink coffee is changing. We're all finding new ways to react to the situation. So here are my five top tips on how to make better coffee at home. Firstly, fresh is best. Try and buy coffee that's been freshly roasted. Most roasteries are still operating and running online stores, and there's a lot of good coffee out there. The next most important tip is again fresh, freshly ground. You have so much more opportunity to enjoy your coffee. 
So right now is the best time to go out there and buy a grinder. For not too much money, you can get a hand grinder, which will give you all the benefits with very few of the downsides. Find some scales. Weighing the amount of water and the amount of coffee you use gives you more control and will help you get better flavors from your coffee. There are lots of videos to help with this. You don't need to spend a lot of money. If you're making anything except espresso, 10 pounds supermarket scales will do the job. Filtered water. If you have a water filter, use it to make your coffee. The flavors will be much cleaner and brighter because of this. And lastly, this is more about sustainability and transparency. The best coffee will come from the most transparent sources. So if the bag of coffee you're buying doesn't say a farm or a farmer's name on it, it's probably not as good as it could be. Look there a little bit deeper, research and enjoy. Dale's voice was smoother than the most <laughs> premium of lattes. That genuinely, I feel like I've had a really luxury hot drink just listening to that. But some really awesome tips there. And I said in our coffee special last week that I'd been getting into making more of my cafetiere coffee, where it's very, normally I'm a very much coffee out and about kind of person. And I've been enjoying that. And Listening to that, Dave, Dale really sold me on getting even more into this. I think I'm going to have to indulge in yet another pandemic purchase and go for a hand grinder because that coffee freshness sounds like the way to go. And one of the things that I've really been struggling to figure out in my at-home barista bachelors was <laughs> trying to work out the best ratios. And Dale, as well as being unbelievable at making coffee, also seems to be psychic because after he'd sent that through, he sent me a message for anyone who has the same question. I hadn't even asked him this. And he said, by the way, if you want to add a personal tip, I'd suggest recommending brewing at the SCA ratio, which is the specialised, sorry, Speciality Coffee Association. That's my abbreviation of the day which is 60 grams per litre, so 60 grams of coffee per litre for most normal humans, or 30 grams to 500 millilitres, which makes enough coffee for two to share. So amazingly, he's gone right in and given me the most important tip I could have asked to for too. So thanks especially to Dale for that, as well as for having the best email signature I've ever seen. We mentioned this on the podcast the other day, but it's worthy of an extra shout out. Anyone who can just drop world champion of anything with their email signature, I mean, that is the stuff that digital correspondence dreams (laughs) are made of. And James, pod 28, and it's amazing how many champions we've had on the pod, right? Or people that have really got to the very, very top of their field. You know, we had Chico at a UK number one hit single. And all these people just offering advice and their knowledge uh, for free to learn the coronavirus podcast. And we are eternally grateful for that. Yeah, and I think more broadly, it's been one of the really amazing things to come out of this situation. The number of people who, whatever their speciality is, They've been offering free content out there and giving people the chance to benefit from that 
has been super inspiring and just doesn't happen as much normally, right? So I think that, yeah, we've been very lucky to have that here on the podcast. And also it's been one of the really sort of stirring things that's come out of how people have responded to this situation too. And now it's that time in the show where we brew you a feel-good cuppa in coronavirus kindness. It's taking a sweep of some of the incredibly moving responses that have appeared to this situation all around the world. And I know that I'm probably not alone in having indulged in some online binge-watching this weekend. I think that that's been high up many people's bank holiday list. And normally, at this stage of a bank holiday weekend, a typical one, people would be applauding the big new releases on TV. Less of those, obviously, coming up because of a situation, but an incredible response from some of the people behind some of our biggest blockbuster box set magic, particularly the costume designers for shows such as Downton Abbey, Game of Thrones, and even movies like Star Wars, who have been putting their skills to making scrubs for medics battling the coronavirus pandemic. And in total, 150 costume makers who are right at the top of their game. We're talking BAFTA winners, people who have worked on Hollywood blockbusters, including Batman, Outlander, Doctor Who, have been making these garments to protect those on the NHS front line. So as much as those heroes on the front line aren't going to be getting the awards they might deserve, incredible that people who have won some of those most glamorous film awards are using their skills to try and support them at this time. Every edition of London Coronavirus Podcast with a quote, something hopefully to tee you up for the next 24 hours. And James, as Italy and Spain start to slowly creep out of this crisis, and I think offer everyone else really a little bit of light that we know the country's currently right in the heart of the pandemic, such as the UK, you know, at least we can see other nations and we can see just a little bit of light. And I think uh, as Italy, they start to open a few bookstores, I saw today, a few coffee shops, and some of the footballers are going back to training in May. So... There are definitely positive signs. So I've gone with an Italian today. And obviously, this is a horrific moment of crisis for the entire planet. But there there are things to take from this. And there is an opportunity to improve yourself, improve aspects of your situation, hopefully. And so I've gone for this from Giorgio Armani. History teaches us that opportunities are born from the deepest moments of crisis. (laughs) 